Good morning. Good. You can hear me. Some, can you put, can, yes, I can hear myself, so you must be able to hear me. Good morning, church. Good to be with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you already for the precious time that we've enjoyed with you this morning, and we look forward to continuing now to hear from your word as you open our ears and our hearts. Lord, Holy Spirit, do your work, we pray. Only you can do that so that we can hear and understand what you want from us and that we might uh, just have our hearts illumined afresh uh, into the things of yourself. So thanks, Lord, for this time together and we thank you now in anticipation for what you're going to say and do and teach us this morning in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I doubt there'd be too many people here this morning who have not heard of the name of Dr. David Livingston. Um, and I have to admit my knowledge of him is pretty sketchy. Uh, however, I did know that uh, he was a missionary in Africa and uh, also that he did a fair bit of exploration of that particular continent. And there's a whole heap more that probably many of you know a whole lot more about it than I do. So, well, all right, so where do you go to find out more information about guys like Dr. David Livingston? Wikipedia, of course. I got a link on my Bible comment on my Bible program on the on my computer that links me to Wikipedia. Listen to what this is just a snippet, just a snippet. Livingston, known as Africa's greatest missionary, completely lost contact with the outside world for six years, and was ill for most of the last four years of his life. Henry Morton Stanley who had been sent to find him, find him by the New York Herald newspaper in 1869. When he found Livingston, he greeted him with those now famous words. G'day, mate. <laughs> Translated into the King's English of Dr. Livingston, I presume. Dr. Livingston, I presume. What an incredible story. But you know, the other incredibly intriguing thing about this particular man was that upon his death and he obviously left this instruction with his attendants that they were to remove his heart and that his heart was to, re to remain and be buried in Africa I think under a boab tree and as far as I know there is a memorial in his honor there apparently where his heart was actually buried apparently and then he gave instructions that his body would be returned to London, where he would be eventually laid to rest uh, at Westminster Abbey. Wikipedia also records this testimony about Livingston. His Christian faith is evident in his journal, in which one entry reads, I place no value on anything I have or may possess, except in relation to the kingdom of Christ. If anything will advance the interests of the kingdom, it shall be given away or kept. Only as by giving or keeping it, I shall promote the glory of him to whom I owe all my hopes in time and in eternity. And it's just interesting that I kind of fell across this particular entry because I think it's so relevant to what we want to talk about this morning. Those words again by the Lord Jesus in Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves will break in and steal. 
but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it seems to me that David Livingstone's treasure was not only his love for God, but certainly an amazing God-given love for the African people. Where this, his treasure, was there. He made sure that his treasure was made sure by his heart literally being in that place, if you know what I mean. His treasure was there and he made sure that his heart was literally there as well. Where his treasure was, there his heart was, in a literal sense. In the very fact that Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. The very fact that Jesus said those words, well, means that he is acknowledging that these treasures on earth are real. And that they can be a potential pitfall for God's people in that your heart can be captured by them earthly treasures so what exactly are these treasures that Jesus was speaking about it's an important question because firstly I reckon that for the vast majority of people and including myself up until not that long ago I guess it was simply a matter of your money or your wealth that's what your treasures were and although this demand that Jesus makes upon us certainly includes money and wealth it's more than that it is more than that and it was an eye-opener to me I guess as I pondered this scripture you see it has so much more to do with our attitude toward the things that we have in our possession on this earth I like what Dr Martin Lloyd-Jones said about this he, he put it like this our Lord is concerned not so much about our possessions as with our attitude toward our possessions. It's not what a person may have, but what he thinks of his wealth. There's nothing wrong in having wealth in and of itself. But what can be wrong is a person's relationship to their wealth and everything that money can buy. In fact, broader still, it's a question of one's whole attitude towards life in this world. So it kind of broadens a little bit, doesn't it? And perhaps there's some challenges there that we didn't perhaps realise. So Martin Lloyd-Jones, in my way of thinking, is pretty accurate. And in what he sees as, as being the implications of these words of Christ. Think about it. Otherwise... If these words from the Lord only related to the wealthy and to those who had money, then this scripture then really is irrelevant to the poor or even the middle class, correct? So if you're sitting here this morning saying, well, I don't have any money, so look, I'm switching off because I don't have treasures, you're missing the point. So you need to switch on and listen. You see, this, this has to do with anything in your possession anything 
or that you may, sorry, any, anything that you, that you have in your possession or that you aim to possess. I'm time down the track. You've got this goal to possess something. So this is aiming at us in that situation where you believe that, that your satisfaction in this life can be attained by what the world supplies for you. That, that's what you need to be thinking about. Have a, have a read of the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. I want to just give you some scriptures to jot down, have a read about later on. So if you're here this morning and you believe that that thing that you're aiming for or what you already have, that's going to give you the satisfaction. In other words, you're saying what this world supplies will meet my needs. Thank you very much. That's the kind of attitude that Jesus wants to address this morning. You see, because Jesus reminds us that such treasures that the world supplies will either be destroyed or stolen, as he mentions in this passage. Certainly, we know that in the end times, everything's going to be burnt up and destroyed anyway. Anything worldly or earthly that we hang on to will eventually be destroyed. It won't last. It'll all perish. And in the context of what Jesus warns us about in these scriptures, about these treasures on earth, these things could also include things like your job. Is that a treasure for you? Your reputation. Perhaps the honour that you have or the honour that you would long to have in your place of work or in your society, in the place, in the circles that you mix in. It could be the respect that you have or the position that you hold or those things that you long to hold. These could be your treasures. You could even treasure your spouse or your children to where the whole of your life is focused on what you possess in them. And in this world. And therefore, if that's where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. And you see, the problem with that attitude is this. God wants your heart. Uh, did you know that he has a right to, the, to your heart? God wants your heart. John Piper in his book, What the World, what, what, sorry, What Jesus Demands from the World, he says this. Where our heart is means where our worship is. When the heart is set on something, it values it, it cher tre cherishes it, it treasures it. That's what worship means. And in terms of money, being where our heart is. He also says this. So the reason money is so crucial for Jesus is that across all cultures and all ages, it represents the alternative to God as the treasure of our hearts. And therefore the object of our worship. It becomes the great threat to our obedience to the first and the last of the Ten Commandments, which says, you shall have no other gods before me, <clears throat> and you shall not covet. What's your treasure this morning? What are you treasuring? 
You see, because what you treasure is where your heart is. And God wants your heart. See, it also helps to explain um, what Jesus said in verse 24 of chapter 6, Matthew. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Look at what the Amplified Version says because I enjoy what that says at different times. The Amplified Version says you cannot serve God and deceitful riches, money, possessions or whatever is trusted in. Whatever is trusted in. I don't think there's anything new to us, perhaps for some. But God alone, God alone wants to be your trust. He, God alone, wants to be your treasure. Because he will not share your heart with another. He wants to be the sole object of your worship because he will not give his glory to another. Jot down Isaiah 42 verse 8. He also is a jealous God who made you and me exclusively for himself. Exodus 34, 14. Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Isn't that incredible? He's jealous for you and me. He will not share you with anything or anyone else. You were made by him and for him. Therefore, how important it is that we comply with the demands of the Lord Jesus Christ who calls us in Matthew 6, 20, 21. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Again, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in the light of this demand from the Lord Jesus, how do we live our lives? How do we lay up treasure in heaven? How do we live out our lives in this world in the light of this demand that Jesus is making upon us? And I think a helpful place to start is to consider again that last sentence of what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones quoted when he said, it's a question of one's whole attitude towards life in this world. In other words, and for example, we need to understand that as a child of God, that this world is not our home, but that we're just passing through. Anyone like to sing that song? This world is not my home, we're just passing through. And on it goes. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Philippians 3.20, these magnificent words. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you eagerly awaiting for Jesus this morning? You see, because that's where your treasure is. And if that's where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Not here. <laughs> But it's with him. 
And here lies our attitude towards life in this world, in exactly the words that Jesus challenges with through the Apostle Paul in 3.20, Philippians 3.20. For more examples of this, for more examples of this attitude that I want us to try and get a handle on this morning, we can go to the great faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11 and have a listen to some of the words there of some of the patriarchs and the saints from the past and what their attitude was as revealed here in the scripture speaking of Abraham have a look if you've got your Bibles you let, we're looking at Hebrews chapter 11 verse 9 and 10 look at these magnificent words it just and be drawn into this attitude may we pray God soak this attitude into my own heart Verse 9 says, by faith he made his home, talking of Abraham, by faith he made his home in the promised land. And like a stranger in a foreign country, that's how he saw himself, he lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God looking forward to that city here he was living in a tent he knew this is wasn't where, where he was permanently meant to be but he was looking forward to that place to that city with foundations whose architect was God is that where you're at today I reckon that's the attitude that Lloyd had don't you reckon and then look at verse 16 Instead, they were, listen to the words, instead they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This helps us as we read these scriptures to understand what it means to store up treasure in heaven, to lay up treasure in heaven. That it's about one's whole attitude towards life in this world. So we see ourselves then only as stewards with the things that God has entrusted to us in this life. And that these things are really on a lease basis to us. They don't belong to us, but all belongs to God. Look at this other scripture. We haven't got time, but 1 Corinthians 3, 21 to 23. Magnificent words that Paul brings. 1 Corinthians 3, 21 to 23. Also, also, that there will be a day when we will give an account to him for how we have used and how we have given back to God in worship the things that he has lent to us to achieve his purposes on this earth. And we need to be sobered up by that reality that the things that you have are on lease to you. And God one day will have you stand before the judgment seat of Christ and he will ask you to give an account of the gifts and the talents and the things that he has given to you. To be used for his glory in his kingdom. Do you remember the parable of the talents? Another good one to read in conjunction with what we're talking about here. Matthew 25, 14 and on. Also 2 Corinthians 5, 9, 10. So what does it mean? So, so it means that you don't cling to the things. 
You don't cling to things. You cling to Christ. We're not absorbed by things, but we are absorbed with Christ. Nothing else becomes the centre of your life but Christ alone. He is your treasure. Therefore, he is where your heart is. Can you say amen to that? He's your treasure. Not the stuff that we have here that will all one day perish, but use the stuff that God gives us to worship him, to give back to him. I think that's what we're, Jesus is saying to us. So my dear friends this morning, it seems to me that when we are convinced and indwelt by this conviction of these things and that we're living out our lives in this world in alignment with Christ, centered on him, that he is our treasure, that he is where our heart is, when these things are a reality to us, then the other demand that Jesus makes to us in, chapter, in Matthew 22 is not a difficult burden to carry at all. Let me read you those, some of those particular verses I want to mention here. Matthew 22, verses 17 and 9 to 21. The Pharisees trying to trap Jesus. How foolish they were. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent. And don't you love the fact that Jesus really does know us? Don't you? He sees us as we really are. No pretext with him. No pretense. That can be scary, but it can all be so good. So relieving. Lord, thank you. See my heart even when others don't. I mean, let me get, keep going here. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And to God, what belongs to God. You know, and I'm sure that most of us know that, that the hypocritical intent of these Pharisees was to trap Jesus in one or two of, of these of, of positions that he should take. They knew that it was a, a no-win situation for him. He had to make a choice. And whatever choice he made in their eyes was going to be wrong. It was going to condemn him in one way or another. To support the tax, and then to lose, if he took that position, and to support the tax, then he would lose much popular support from the Jews. Or to reject the tax, he would then be vulnerable to the charge of treason against Rome. So in their eyes, they had him. But the answer, the answer that Christ gave left them speechless, and in like manner, they went away. Speechless. Verse 22, however, for us, for the child of God this morning, we learn a couple of important practices or principles from what Jesus said. As, as one commentator, L. Richards, he points this out. He said, Jesus' classic answer was more than clever avoidance of a trap. It was a lot more than that. 
We shouldn't marvel at the fact that Jesus got out of a trap, but marvel at what he said. He said it's a guiding principle for us to apply today. And this is it. When there is no conflict between the claims of human government and God, then we obey secular power. That's one of the principles that we need to learn out of that answer. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, give to God what belongs to God. Let me unpack that a little bit more. So firstly, on this basis, as believers, we are to honour, we are to submit to the governing authorities. Scripture clearly teaches that. Pencil and pen, jot down these, these scriptures. Romans 13. 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. I want to read you, though, this scripture from 1 Peter 2, 13, 14, and 17. Listen to these words. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him. Pretty clear, isn't it? Verse 17, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God, honour the king. So simply it means that we respect these rulers. We obey the law. We pay our taxes. And we pray, and we pray for those who are in authority over us. Just this week I learned as I read uh, some news clips from uh, Vision Radio that I have on my app. Bruce will be happy about that. One of the news clips said this, that there are, there are senior ministers in Donald Trump's cabinet who have weekly prayer and Bible studies. Isn't that amazing? They get down to prayer, they get down to Bible study. Can't remember the guy who leads the Bible study, but how fantastic. Keep praying for those in authority. Malcolm Turnbull might find himself doing the same thing, you reckon? Pray. We're meant, we're meant to pray for those in authority over us. People are praying for Donald Trump. They need prayer. You might have other opinions about that, but the reality is they need prayer. We all do, particularly those who are in authority. Secondly, as believers in Christ, and because we hold this kind of dual citizenship, which we do here on the earth, as well as in heaven, we must obey. We must, above all things, honour and obey Christ. Submit to Christ. So Jesus' words again to us, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And again, I like what John Piper says as he unpacks this for us. He says this as a good explanation of that scripture. He says, the fact that God owns everything and has all authority in the universe puts the first command under the second. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's becomes a subcategory of render to God the things that are God's. All is God's. Can you understand that? Therefore, what, what is Caesar's is God's. Therefore, rendering to Caesar what is his must be seen as an expression of rendering to God what is God's. This is all important in understanding how one can be utterly devoted to Jesus as Lord and then still live in a world with Caesar or any other authority. Do you get that? The best citizen, says Warren Wearsby, honours his country 
Why? Because he worships God. Have a think about that one. Dr. David Livingston wrote in his journal these words that I read out at the beginning. And I want us to be challenged. This is my challenge this morning to all of us. My challenge is this. I want to read these words again. I want you to simply listen or read these words as they come up on the screen. And I want you to ask this question to yourself and before God. And the question is this. Lord, can I honestly write those words from my heart in my journal for you? Can I honestly, without reservation, from all my heart, write these words in my journal for you? And these are the words. I place, have you got them up there, mate? Thanks, Gary. I place no value on anything I have or may possess, except in relation to the kingdom of Christ. If anything will advance the interests of the kingdom, it shall be given away or kept only as by giving or keeping it, I shall promote the glory of him to whom I owe all my hopes in time and eternity. Can you write those words in your journal from your heart? You see, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Can I just ask us to bow in prayer and ask the worship team to come forward then? Just for a few short moments, can I just get you to ponder those words and the sentiment of those words and what that might mean to you personally. I know we don't do this often in this church, but what I want to do this morning is ask you, if you're fair dinkum about this, you're sold out for Jesus. Your treasure is him. Your heart belongs to him. You're able to write these words of Livingston's in your own journal. I'm going to ask you just to stand where, you're right, where you are right now. You just stand before we... Yeah, stand, thanks, just before we sing. Not everybody will need to stand, but if you want to stand saying, Lord, here I am, these words are to my heart today. Thank you. Anyone else just before we sing? Because I just want to pray for you. Father, thank you that you see the hearts of all of us this morning. That's important. But thank you for those who have stood up, Lord, who are just saying, Lord, here I am. I need to do this, Lord. And I thank you, Father, that they've done that, sensing your touch in their lives. So bless them richly, we pray. Give them great joy and liberty in their serving of you. Bring them closer to yourself, Lord. Reveal more of yourself to them, we pray, that they treasure you more. You have their hearts, Lord, completely. Be master, Lord, and direct their steps wherever you might lead them. Thank you for them. Again, bless them richly, Father, we pray in the wonderful, mighty name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Just invite you all to stand, please, as we can hand over to Charlie to lead us in a final song.